for me, no one checking on me, so I had to go one up and check. I got the message on me, get no flexing on me, my attorney gon' call it collect. Blessings on blessings for me, my success has only made them envious. They got a How's everyone doing? I had to put all their egos in check. I want the money to Simon for the closed network privacy podcast. Got a special guest for you today. On episode, what episode is this? 29? Still wondering where Michael Bazell is. Chilling on his island, sipping his, uh, his Mai Tai. I don't know. Missed the guy. Hopefully, uh, hopefully we hear from him again one day. For those that don't know what I'm talking about, it's the uh, Privacy, Security, and OSINT show. Michael Bazell uh, recently posted a blog article that he is on hiatus indefinitely. So... Uh, wishing him well. Maybe one day he'll come back. We'll see. I'll have a link to his blog down in the show notes down below. Uh, I did have some articles that I think I'm going to push to the next episode um, in lieu of this uh, interview. Um, But I do want to give a shout out to the Privacy Badass uh, Patreon supporters. As always, uh, Michael Bates and Richard G., thank you very much. Uh, Always appreciated. And our Lightning supporters coming in, the the top supporters are Turquoise Panda, Bon, uh, Circus Media, Pixel Jones, and White Coat Black Hat. Always uh, appreciate the love. Thank you very much. If you want to support in any way you can, just go to closednetwork.io. And you can click on the support tab on the homepage is also the links to joining our matrix chat, which now we are over 200 in our uh, main channel. And then we also have our off topic channel, which has turned into one of the most epic meme dumps of all time. And I'm loving every minute of it. So uh, both those links are on the homepage. If you download the element app, you can then just uh, create an account and go to closednetwork.io and you can click join the uh, matrix channel and you'll be in. So as far as housekeeping goes, that's pretty much everything. I have had the pleasure of having uh, Matt on from Start9. Uh, the website is start and the number 9.com, which is a sovereign computing project. That's a, also a company. And I've been wanting to have a, a conversation with someone from their team. He's actually the CEO of the, of the company. And talk about what sovereign computing means to start nine and how they're trying to bridge the gap uh, for people that are trying to decloud themselves, pull themselves out of um, big tech's data clouds and into your own personal cloud or multiple clouds that you run yourself. Uh, I am more and more uh, becoming vigilant about self-hosting, uh, especially the more you understand uh, when you're using third-party Uh, software, third-party companies to store your data. And because of the third-party doctrine, the data is not yours. This is not your data. Uh, So if it's not your server, it's not your data is the title for this episode. And I'm really excited to... um, to have this uh, this time with Matt, and I, I hope you also enjoy uh, the conversation. So, without further ado, uh, we'll get into the interview. All right. So, thanks for joining me, Matt. I appreciate mm-hmm. uh, you taking the time. You're from the Start Nine. Uh, I, I keep kind of saying Start Nine, Start Nine Labs. I don't know if that's the actual name of of the project, but um, we're here with Start Nine to talk about what exactly you guys do and um 
find out more about you and the project and what it, how it can benefit people that are seeking to be uh, more sovereign online, uh, especially with hosting Bitcoin nodes or any other self-hosted applications through your software platform, your stack, and uh, learn more about that. So, uh, Matt, thanks for coming on. If, if you want to maybe just give me um, a brief background, maybe about yourself, what you're comfortable sharing with, and uh, what being sovereign means to you. Yeah, for sure. Thanks for having me on, Simon. Um, so the difference between Start9 and Start9 Labs is Start9 Labs is a company. Um, Start9 is sort of just our how we're known. Um, that's our brand. Okay. Um, so most often we just go by Start9, right? Start9 Labs is things that we have to put on contracts and government paperwork and stuff like that. Gotcha. Okay. Um, and Start OS is what Start9 <laughs> focuses our efforts around. Start OS is an open source operating system, Linux distribution. Um, so we can get into that in a little bit. Um, so about me personally, um, I'm a software engineer by trade. been coding for, I don't know, almost 10 years. Um, I cut my teeth on the early Angular uh, stack before TypeScript was even introduced. Um, Ruby on Rails, that's when Ruby on Rails was really hot. Right. Um, and I've gradually become a fairly well-rounded full-stack developer, largely focusing um, around TypeScript. Um, so either front-end TypeScript platforms or back-end Node.js TypeScript. Um, and uh, and yeah, so from a software development perspective, I primarily contribute to Start OS front-end code base, which is a Angular TypeScript web application um, served by the server. Uh, through the browser so that you can access your server from anywhere in the world without having to be plugged directly into it, right? It's a private website. Right. And I um, have owned the front-end code base for about four years now and wrote a substantial portion of that code. Aside from uh, contributing to StartOS development, um, I'm also, you know, uh, Start9's CEO, which means I, I... do everything from, you know, team building to um, all the, the paperwork and marketing and, sure. and everything else, right? There's a, there's a lot involved in um, building an, an operating system and distributing products with it and providing support for it and um, collecting revenues, paying taxes and all the rest, right? So right. Um, uh, I, I take that on at, at the company um, and that's fine. I have a, I have a long history of entrepreneurship. Um, this is my fourth startup. Uh, other than that, I was a part of a couple other young companies. Um, I grew up in a family business. Um, my father was a baker and we had a bakery in Denver cool. and I grew up, uh, working in there and, you know, helping customers and stuff by the time I could basically walk. Um, right. so I've always been in like a small business, um, business owner management setting and I'm very comfortable there. And, uh, only much later in life did I uh, acquire, you know, some more technical coding skills and then applied them to business as well. Okay. Um, start nine is fairly radical on the, you know, uh, software development front. Like we're not just building some app and then, you know, charging people a monthly subscription and all that boring stuff. We're, we're trying to do something pretty, pretty fundamental to the computing paradigm. Um, it is our stance that cloud computing 
uh, defined by this, you know, large centralized public server infrastructure that everyone connects on right. and through, um, which is monetized by the software as a service SaaS model, which basically just means rent, paying rent to use somebody else's server to intermediate and store your data, right. uh, was a huge mistake. Um, for humanity, right? We we believe that um, computing as an idea, as a practice, is extremely young still, right? Like personal computers have only been around for, you know, 40, 50 years, and that's a stretch, right? They've that only really been widely adopted and usable for like 30 years. Right. Um, and the internet is even newer and, you know, less distributed. I mean, lots of people in the world still don't have internet access. So it's like just blossoming, right? Humans and computers are just blossoming. And so to think that we sort of got it right out of the gate is a little bit of hubris, right? Like you have to be kind of crazy to just be like, oh, we invented computers. We invented a a model of computing and that's just how we're going to use computers forever, right? Like nothing in history works that way. It's never correct out of the gate. There's always, you know, these learning curves. Um, And we think that the current model of computing, again, defined by cloud computing and SaaS as its corollary business model, um, was a massive, massive mistake, whose consequences have not yet been fully realized. Um, As in, it's not just less efficient than it should be. It's not just um, more expensive than it should be. It's actually dangerous um, from a, you know, political and economic perspective. It is dangerous. Um, And we haven't really seen the full manifestation of that danger yet. We're starting to. Um, but really, I I like to drive home. Um, you know what? I'll, I'll pause there because we're we're now out of my own kind of background sure. a little bit. No, no, no. And a guide where you'd like this conversation. This is to good. Yeah, uh, I, I, I like where that's going because I like to understand the motivation behind the project and kind of. I know that a pro- when I say project, I know that it can be, literally be one person or a handful of individuals. And the project exists because of some passion or motivation to uh, change course of what the norm is becoming. And I think that's exactly the the trajectory you were on with what you were, the path you were going down. Um, and, you know, that's, that was kind of just leads right into the, the mission, you know, of, of what start nine is and kind of um, identifying a, a gap within the space um, and, and and how you overcome that by, you know, creating something to fill that gap or, or, or supply the need that a lot of people don't even know exists yet. So you actually have like a twofold uh, probably, you know, challenge where it's like you're, you're creating something and then also creating the awareness of why people need it or why it's important. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people from the, you know, Bitcoin, the greater Bitcoin world, we'll call it, get this pretty quickly. You know, mm-hmm. the the need, the nature of the problem, and the need for a solution. Um, but a lot of others just don't. Um, most people don't realize what is happening when they open their laptop or unlock their phone. Right. They're unaware of 
you know, the, the infrastructure beneath it. Right. Um, and yeah, and that's, and that's even just come about more in the last decade, a decade and a half, as far as on the phone, on the mobile phone, you know, kind of thing, uh, versus, you know, personal computing and storing files and that kind of, it, it, there's a, <laughs> there's another paradigm shift there where I think it's kind of more common now to ha- meet or know people that don't even have a personal computer. They just kind of use their phone for everything. And maybe they have a tablet or a laptop laying around that they use sometimes. Um, but that now that is the most used and important computer air quotes computer they have in their life is that mobile device. And then, you know, what, where is the data that it's talking to? What connections is that, is that device making, um, per second, per minute, per hour, uh, and understanding how, what the trade-offs are and that what you mentioned earlier about things being very SaaS based where you're renting your, your data could technically be held for, for ransom, so to speak, <laughs> or captive if you stop paying or you violate a TOS of some kind. Uh, and those TOS terms, those terms of services can also be altered and changed at whenever the company, uh, deems necessary, uh, will. So you're really uh, locking yourself into a controlled, uh, maybe a digital authoritative state at some point. <laughs> and, you know, that, that, uh, that's kind of where I, I see things is, are you in control or is somebody else, or when I say else, it could be a corporation, is that corporation in control of you? Yeah. I mean, it's coming fast and furious, right? Um, you know, the, the broad, the broad deep issue here is about independence. Um, you know, the ability to, um, act and obtain your values and keep them without, um, independently, without asking someone for permission, without, um, their restrictions, uh, without being extorted, you know, um, it's really just the ability to live and, uh, pursue your goals and values in a way that is unrestricted and dignified and worthy of the human existence. Um, and more and more that is taking place in the digital realm. Like so much of what we do is, um, accompanied by and enabled by computers, right? Like the computer was the tool of the brain. It was this massive innovation, technological leap in human history where we invented a tool that a general purpose computing machine, right? Not just some simple calculator to add numbers, but a a fully general purpose uh, Turing complete computing machine that in theory could assist us in any way we need. And we're now seeing some of the, real revelations of that with relation to artificial intelligence, for example, right. uh, where it's like kind of sky's the limit on how much computers can help us achieve our goals. And so controlling the computer, um, limiting access to the computer, um, perverting the experience in any way is, is not to be dismissed, right? Like it's a very, very serious um, encroachment on a person's ability to survive and thrive. Um, I need to be able to use my computers uh, in any way that I see fit without somebody um, restricting access, um, limiting access, 
charging me uh, extortionary rates. Um, In other words, if I don't have, uh, you know, carte blanche access to use my computer in any way that I see fit, I'm actually living at a disadvantage to somebody who does. And the paradigm that we've gotten ourselves into over the past 20 years is that uh, basically at, at the if you really dig deep and understand how the infrastructure is designed, there's like a small handful of people <laughs> that control the computing uh, infrastructure and experience for everyone on the planet and can limit that experience um, artificially in many ways. And while they don't necessarily go to extremes and just say, you're limited, you can't use this thing, which they do sometimes, right? It's deplatforming. It's, um, you know, your IP is not permitted to use this website at this time right. type of stuff. But that's actually not as prevalent um, as people might expect or as it will be in the future, in my opinion. Uh, the, the access is limited more insidiously. It is um, obtained through... Um, User experience, where the best user experiences are often associated with the most restrictive platforms because those are the most well-funded, and that is an artifact of the fiat economy and, mm-hmm. and investment uh, paradigm. Um, you also have things like uh, algorithmic amplification and um, suppression, where certain messages on social media, for example, are amplified in order to drown out others, where it's not overt censorship, but ultimately what hits the eyeballs of people is highly controlled. Uh, It is a form of censorship. Um, Costs prohibit people from uh, using certain services in the way that they would need um, to achieve the goals that they have set out for themselves. Uh, And in different parts of the world, things are come with varying degrees of cost. Um, but aside from just the the control aspect, there is this um, there is this inherent vulnerability, uh, call it like a, a fissure in the structure um, of the cloud computing SaaS paradigm, which is that it is inherently insecure um, and fragile. Right when you have a queen bee, when you have central power, centralized power, um, all you have to do to cause massive disruption is um, compromise the center of power right there right. there is a there's an actual head on the animal and all you have to do is hit the head and bad things happen right uh in the in to be more concrete in the in the realm of computing this is centralized servers so like when everyone is using let's say um like telegram servers for chat uh telegram is this massive central honeypot and point of failure where if I'm a hacker, uh, either an individual or some vigilante group or a nation state, and this is a cyber war, I have a massive incentive to hack Telegram. Right, right. right. Hacking Telegram is this huge payout. And so I'm willing to expend massive resources to hack it. And because um, hacking a server is not a matter of breaking encryption, right? It's not a matter of computer science. Hacking a server is a matter of social engineering, right? It's about finding the person with the keys to the server and hacking them. And people can always be hacked. I don't care how much you pay for cybersecurity. I don't care what your encryption scheme is. Uh, The guy with the keys can be blackmailed, bribed, 
uh, you seduced. know, threatened, <laughs> seduced. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Socially engineered. It's right. really not that hard. That's how hacks take place. And so my stance is that, you know, any server worth hacking will eventually be hacked. It's just a matter of time. Um, and so the key is to not have servers worth hacking. And this is like where, where everyone gets tripped up, right? It's, it's the same thing in, in politics. A lot of people are like, we don't want that guy as president because he's doing all these bad things. We want this guy as president because he's going to do all these great things. And the, and the response is, well, if the president has the power to do all these great things or all these bad things, that's your problem is the, is the existence of the power in the first place. Like you, you can't, you can't hope for better maintainers of servers. You can't hope for more benevolent companies. It's the, the, the very fact that there is so much power centralized, so much value centralized, guarantees corruption. It right. guarantees uh, disaster. It's just a matter of time. And so the solution is to decentralize power, right? Is to build systems, technological systems especially, um, that do not centralize power into the hands of any individual or group or even small group of individuals or groups, but instead push power to the edges of the network. And this was the huge, obvious innovation of Bitcoin, right? Was that it created a, um, I don't even want to call it a monetary system, right? Because it is so much more than that in it's essence. So much, I mean, it's, practice, pro, it's programmable. It is, it is, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, in practice, it's, it's you know, a monetary system and digital currency, but in in deep in a deeper sense, it's it's something so much more. It's a, it's a decentralized consensus machine, uh, truth machine, right. and we've used it for money to date, which is great. Probably the most important thing we could be using it for. Right. Um, but what it really did was just create a digital network that had power as distributed, decentralized, and at the edges as possible, with competing economic incentives, and it just was a masterpiece of of, of engineering and. Um, we look at that. I look at that. And I'm like, well, that's not, I mean, it was a huge breakthrough. But right. now that we've seen it, it's, it's actually an elegant, simple solution, right? It's not that complicated to build decentralized systems. The, the challenge is really around incentives. It's like nobody wants to build a open source non-proprietary decentralized system because it inherently means that they're not important. Right? right, like people right. tend to want to build in such a way that they become the master of the thing that they're building, etc. Right. Most people don't build uh, sound systems for their own sake and for the sake of themselves, those around them, and future generations. They they're very um, narrow sighted in their efforts, and that's kind of the heart of the problem. And we look at that and we were like, well, we don't have to do that. We can build something real. We can. Um, take what Bitcoin did as an idea, as a concept, and as an example of a decentralized system and apply it generally to computing. And that doesn't mean we've built some sort of like, you know, blockchain for everything. That's sure. disgusting. Right. What I mean is that even Bitcoin has to run on a computer, right? Even Bitcoin needs an operating system. Bitcoin is a program. Right. It is it is a collection of programs running on computers all over the world. Um and those computers uh, are not necessarily sound. The operating systems that they're running on are not necessarily sound. Um, and if the infrastructure beneath Bitcoin, 
computers and operating systems and the uh, networking infrastructure, the fiber optic cables and ISPs. And if all of that is not shored up and sound and distributed and itself somewhat decentralized, um, Bitcoin must invariably centralize. Uh, it might not be for a long time, but eventually, uh, if there is one node running in the world right. <laughs> and everyone has to connect to that node in order to participate in the Bitcoin network, then we have exactly the same world that we have today, except probably worse because Bitcoin is designed to be transparent, meaning right. it could be the ultimate tool of monetary enslavement right. Uh, right. if it becomes co-opted in the same way that SMTP and email was co-opted. Right. Yeah, it's a protocol, but if it if it's centralized into a, a small group of power that can be controlled and and surveilled, uh, which you know Bitcoin is surveilled, we know with like on-chain analysis and things like that, and um, it, it's it, it kind of every everything gets just not everything, but oftentimes becomes distorted when the powers that be uh, realize the power that and freedom that individuals have that is outside their purview or their control. And that's where regulation comes into play. <laughs> like if you can't kill the network, kill, then kill it through regulation, scare people. And, and that can make it very difficult to onboard or offboard, you know, and it's, it's, uh, what I like about the decentralized, decentralized nature of Bitcoin is that anyone, and I, and I actually titled this, you know, become your own bank because that's what's on your, on your website is everyone can have the ability to uh, self custody their their funds their 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 bitcoin and engage and interact without asking for permission or without needing an intermediary and the only way that works is to have as many people embracing it as as, as we can um just like tor or any other decentralized you know uh, uh massive decentralized platform that people rely on uh to to communicate or to exchange ideas thoughts or value and you know we've seen that with over even just in the last few years with protests and things that you sure whether you're pro or against there are still people that were trying to deliver send value and um that was blocked through all of the traditional mediums like PayPal and bank transfers, wire transfers, Zelle transfer. They're able to stop that. And to me, that is just the ultimate uh, control and authority that can be exercised over its citizens is to be able to block commerce, whether it's commerce through donation, commerce through sale uh, and exchange of value. And I think that's one of the things I love about um Bitcoin in general is from a from an idea standpoint is just that fundamental uh, rebellion against that controlled power and it's not about even you know trying to be rebellious it's it's acknowledging that you have the freedom and the right to engage in practices the way that you want to with other individuals and it shouldn't be allowed or permissible within a structure or a framework by a power structure as like, like a government or a financial institution. And that's what really, uh, what excites me about these types of projects where it also makes it a lot easier now because it wasn't always so easy for the non-technical to run a node. I mean, yes, you could, anyone could just download Bitcoin core and run it on a computer, but 
that was just basically running a full node, but to actually do something else with uh, your computer, uh, you know, to to set up a BTC pay server and and shoot invoices and, and things of that nature. It's just it was it was much more difficult, and it's becoming much easier. And even the more non technical minded individuals can easily follow some instructions and some guides and start learning uh, as well as, you know, participating in this decentralized node network. And I couldn't be happier. I get excited when I see, I know not all projects are equal and I know they won't all succeed, but I like seeing that there are more options available now than I've seen even just, you know, three, four years ago. Um, whether it's you know to run a Bitcoin node or uh, to just run a server where you can self-host your files running Nextcloud uh, or or any other self-hosted solution that allows you to retain uh, your property, your information, your data without being subject to one of these big tech cloud providers, and yeah, you know that's well, let's let's dig in a little to you know, presenting the the corollary to the cloud computing paradigm, right? So I, right. I basically said cloud computing and the core, uh, corresponding business model of SaaS is this big mistake and it's dangerous and it's expensive and it's inefficient and it is, okay? It leads to all sorts of horrible things that have not yet happened. Some have, some are happening and some are going to happen. Right. But m- my, our prediction is that cloud computing in its current form uh, is not the future of computing, um, I I can't imagine a future where it is. It is a horrible future if it is, but I actually just don't see it. I don't understand how something so inherently flawed um, and inefficient and expensive and dangerous will survive. So what is going to take its place? Right. <laughs> um, and we call it sovereign computing for lack of a better phrase. Maybe that's a great phrase. I don't know. We'll see I think it's it a great phrase. <laughs> we call it sovereign computing. Yeah. And it uh, basically means that everyone has personal clouds. So, right? so it is cloud computing, uh, but reborn so that everyone is not using the same cloud as everyone else, which is this horribly inefficient, dangerous thing, but everyone is connecting to their own personal private clouds. And they can have as many of them as you want. And they can all be aware of each other. And, right? and now you can have a whole collection of little clouds all over the world that are all talking to each other and your own little computing world, Okay. Uh, and we call it sovereign computing because if executed properly, a model like that is inherently sovereign, right? It is inherently uh, private, inherently secure. And when I say that, uh, I say it for the same reason that I said cloud computing is inherently insecure, which is that it has nothing to do with cryptography. It has nothing to do with computer science. It is p- cloud computing is insecure because ultimately people control the gateways and ultimately people are insecure, Sovereign computing is inherently secure because there's nothing worth attacking, right? It's like, um, it's just like your apartment or your house where you live. Your house is inherently pretty secure. It's not to say that there's never break-ins. It's not to say that having security systems or keeping arms is a bad thing. It's just that you most often will never need them in your home because your home is sort of inherently secure. Why is it inherently secure? Because there's nothing in your home worth the risk for someone to break in and try to attack you and take things because that's an extremely risky thing to do. They are risking their life. They're risking their freedom for what? For your your vase, you know, your TV. It, 
Again, it happens, but it's far less likely to happen than in the old days of bank robberies, right? <laughs> where it was almost right. guaranteed that the bank was going to get attacked because it had piles of gold in it, and everyone knew that. So unless you are advertising on social media that you have piles of gold in your basement, it's unlikely that your home is going to get attacked. And for that same reason, it is unlikely that your server is going to get attacked if you're running your own server in private cloud. Uh, in fact, it's even more unlikely that your server would get attacked than your home because nobody knows it exists. Right. It's not visible like your home. You can't just walk down the street and see which house has a server running in it. Yes, you can browse around the internet and see if there are servers running, but you don't necessarily know where they are. And attacking a server requires physical access. Yes, there are digital exploits, but again, those are extremely rare, few and far between. Most hacks occur due to social engineering and physical access. So as long as you have good operational security mm -hmm. and are not you know, doing something silly with your server and broadcasting that it has a bunch of Bitcoin on it and where it is or something like that, then nobody's going to break in. And furthermore, you actually don't store Bitcoin on servers. That's a misconception that a lot of people get when they come to us is that if you're running a personal server and it's running a Bitcoin node and a Lightning node, it probably has very little Bitcoin on it, right? right? Because most people don't store their entire Bitcoin stash on the Lightning Network. If you do, you need to um, reevaluate right. that. You probably right. shouldn't be, right? The vast majority of your Bitcoin should be somewhere in cold storage, not on a computer, especially not on a computer that is connected to the internet 24-7 like a server. So you're not going to get attacked. That's right. the, the bottom line here is that it is highly unlikely that your server will get attacked. And so sovereign computing has this inherent security aspect to it, which is that nobody is really worth hacking. Um, secondly, it eliminates issues of privacy, invasion of privacy, um, and mass surveillance, right? When everyone is running their own private server right. from their own home, accessing private websites over private networks, um, there is just no opportunity to surveil that person, right? Like the ISPs, you know, are the are the most dangerous threat to the entire model, and they can kind of see that signals are coming in and out of your home, maybe over the Tor network, but they don't really have any idea what you're doing. Um, and so there's, and surveilling would require being targeted, right? Like mass surveillance works today and is enabled by the the cloud companies right um, because you don't have to be targeted to be surveilled right, right. they just they just go to one company and they're always yeah. like just drag they, net the whole everything thing everything about you <laughs> yeah there, exactly yeah. but that can't happen if everyone's running their own server and doing everything privately yes they could show up to your home with a warrant just like any old fashioned search warrant and search your server right uh, assuming you were willing to share the password etc and you know you you complied with that warrant um but they would have to do it like that it would have to be that physical right they they can't just deputize google and walk into google and just be like tell us everything about simon tell us everything about matt in right. fact they don't even need to serve google with a warrant to do that under the um, third-party doctrine, third doctrine enabled exactly. by the Patriot Act, yep. it is no longer necessary for authorities 
to um, provide a search warrant in order to get any information about you that they want from any third-party server that you use. Basically, the law says the second you as as an individual or business choose to serve your data or send your data to a third-party server like Google, Apple, Amazon, Microsoft, App, you know, whatever, the second you choose to send your data to them and store it on their server, you have relinquished your Fourth Amendment rights. Right. Uh, it is no longer your data. Therefore, there is no warrant needed to search it because it's not yours. It it's right. literally not your server, not your data. You right. think it's your data because it's super private information about you that's that you can access with a password, but it actually belongs to Google. And they can do whatever the hell they want with it according to whatever terms of service they cook up for that week. Sure. Including um, including lock you out of it and, of and course, cut off your access, you know. It's not yours. Right. Literally from a property standpoint, it's not your server, it's not your data. Neither is yours. They are just gracious enough to let you use their server for a fee every month, but it's not yours. You're paying rent. They are the landlords. Um, And so sovereign computing doesn't have this problem because you're using your server. You're sending your data to your server. It belongs to you, fully your property. Both the hardware and the data belong to you, and that comes with rights. You actually have under most you know, modern legal systems, that is yours. And in order for anyone, uh, including and especially law enforcement, to access it, a warrant is necessary, which means you have to be a targeted, wanted individual, which nobody is. But in today's world, even though you're totally benign, you're still being surveilled. All this data is being collected about you, and it's only a matter of time before one of those databases is hacked and all this private information gets spilled out into the world. And sure. it's like you are just this innocent victim of a cyber war <laughs> that you didn't even know was going on. Um, so sovereign computing replaces cloud computing. It ultimately is cloud computing, but broken up into a billion little pieces and one in every home. And that, interestingly, was sort of how computers were originally used. It's sort of how the original internet functioned. There was only a few people using it, but it was basically how it functioned. Mm -hmm. And that was a very technically challenging thing to do, right? To run a computer from your home, a server, 24-7, 365, online, connected to other servers around the world such that you and others can access information on that server in a permissioned way according to whatever permissions you set uh, in a secure and permissioned way. That is a very challenging thing to do. People who do that are often uh, referred to as home labbers or sysadmins. Uh, it tends to be a highly uh, refined and esoteric skill set that companies pay a lot of money for if you have that skill set. Um, it's rare. It takes an enormous amount of time. Even if you do have the sysadmin skill set, you are still going to be spending hours and hours and weekends and weeks of time um, setting up and maintaining your home lab, your home server network. Um, it's It's hard. It's just a, a difficult thing to do. Right. And sovereign computing, as an idea, if we want that to be the future of computing, requires that not everyone, but most people, at least 
heads of family and heads of businesses do this. And so we're like, wow, well, crap. (laughs) Cloud computing is a disaster. Mm -hmm. Sovereign computing is the savior. But nobody can do sovereign computing because it's too hard. Mm-hmm. So that's what we set out to solve. We we said, okay, well, let's make it easier. That's what technology is. That's what tools are. Let's build a tool that makes it easier than it used to be to run a personal private server for you, your family, or your business. Right. And so where do you start? How do you make a computer easier to use? Um, it's shockingly simple, actually, the, the answer to that question. Yeah, a lot of people wouldn't come up with that first. Well, a lot They'd of my listeners are, are happy to hear that. <laughs> yeah, so. they, they, they wouldn't, they might say all sorts of things. How do you make a computer easier to use? Um, the biggest example that we have in history of somebody making a computer easier to use was Microsoft and Apple in the 1970s and 80s. Right. How did they do that? Right. At the time, personal computers were completely inaccessible to a normal person. They were super difficult to use. They were known as geeks and hobbyists, right? These, these, these fringe individuals. Uh, so what enabled personal computers to go mainstream? Um, the answer is one, better hardware, but that's not the, the crux of it. The crux of it was the operating system. Mm-hmm. It was Windows and the early Mac OSs. It wasn't then called Mac OS, right? Like the Apple II when it came out was not a Mac hadn't even been Correct. invented that's, yet. Yeah. But, but Apple's operating system, even right. though it didn't even have official names at certain times. Apple's operating system and Windows um, are what made personal computers accessible to the masses. What is an operating system, right? An operating system is like the philosophy of the computer. It's like the base way that the computer functions, right? It, it is your interface. Right? It's how you as a human interact with the computer. And it is how the computer accommodates and interacts with applications, programs, services, right? Things that you as a user want to do. So the operating system sits at the middle of three different parties. It sits at the middle of the hardware, the actual metal of the computer, the user, the person who wants to use the computer, and the applications, the things that are running on the computer, the useful things. Mm -hmm. The operating system is what connects all three of those parties into a seamless experience. And it just so happens, largely due to lack of demand, but also due to lack of education, which led to the lack of demand, Mm -hmm. there has never really been a viable, mass market, easy to use, server operating system. Every operating system in existence, Mac OS, Windows, iOS, Android, Linux, and all its flavors, Ubuntu, Fedora, you name it, Mm -hmm. they are all, let me put it more precisely, their graphical interfaces, the the thing that a normal person interacts with, are all optimized and designed to administer a personal computer. A client device, Mm -hmm. a phone, a tablet, a laptop, or a desktop. They are all optimized to run a phone, a tablet, a laptop, or a desktop. None of them, none of them are optimized to run a server. When people run servers, right, when they convert a computer into a server, right, what is the difference between a computer and a server, right? They have different purposes. That's the difference. It's not different hardware. Any computer can be a server, 
but most of them are not. Most of them are clients, right? right? The hardware isn't different. It's what you're using it for that determines whether it's a client or a server. Right. So all of the Linux flavors, Mac, Windows, iOS, Android, they are their graphical interfaces are all optimized for you to use that piece of hardware as a client. If you want to use any of those things, namely Linux is the, the main one, mm-hmm. with Ubuntu probably as its most popular distro these days. Um, if you want to use that thing as a server, you have to go beneath the graphical interface. You have to pop the hood and get on the command line in order to use that computer as a server. For the most part, sure, right? That is not a universal 100% all the time no, true but, statement, but, but for it, the most part. Generally speaking, yeah, there's no there's no graphical user interface on the server. It's usually running headless, right? There's not even yes. typically a monitor plugged in, so why why would you need one anyways? It's less resources. Well, even, if, even if you do plug a monitor in, yeah, it's, again, it's like you want to run Nextcloud, you want to run a Bitcoin node, it's all command line commands. Right. Only once you get Nextcloud up and running does Nextcloud itself serve a graphical interface as a website so that you can use it through the browser. But in order to get Nextcloud set up at all, you had to do it through the command line. Go to nextcloud.com or org and look at their docs of how do you run a Nextcloud server. It's all command line commands. That's how servers are administered is via the command line, the command line interface, the CLI, not the graphical user interface. There is no server operating system that has a graphical user interface it just doesn't exist and we looked at that and we were like that's crazy that's crazy because if sovereign computing is the future and is necessary in our opinion for the healthy and free survival of humanity and in order for sovereign computing to come into existence and flourish people need to run servers and in order for people to run servers they have to have the ability to run a server and in order to have that ability, there has to be a server operating system. It was shocking to us that there wasn't a server operating system. Not like we not like we were imagining anyway, right? There's a right. few things over the years that have claimed to a degree to kind of be a server operating system. I think even Windows had a Windows server and Mac had like Mac server. Right. Um, they didn't go anywhere near what we felt a server operating system would need to, but also they just they just never they're, they're built, they've both been decommissioned, right? Like Apple, Microsoft, they gave up. And they gave up, I think, for a couple of reasons. Three, really, in particular. One is it is an incredibly hard problem to solve, right? There's a reason why servers are administered via the CLI and not the GUI, because representing the Linux CLI sysadmin experience in an easy to use approachable graphical interface is just a hard fucking problem. It's really hard to do. I know because we've been working on it for four years now. It's very hard. (laughs) Number two is that there isn't a lot of demand for it, right? Like why would Apple and Microsoft put resources into building an operating system when everyone on the planet is just like, give me Mac OS, I'll plug into iCloud. I was going to say, yeah, they they offer this solution through their own infrastructure, right? And and get people to pay the subscription fee. Exactly. That's the third reason. Yeah, absolutely. That's the third reason is that even if there was demand for it, they would do everything in their power to squash that demand because if everyone was running their own server, they would be cut out, right? right? Like they have no incentive 
to push self-hosting because they make money off of hosting. It's a, it would be cannibalizing their, their primary business line. Right. At least things like Google would be, right? Apple sells devices and that's how they make a lot of money. Um, so Apple would be the only one that might have an incentive to pursue something like this, but they have not, um, at least not in earnest. So that's what we set out to build is we were like, okay, the whole crux of the issue here, the missing piece that would bridge the gap between cloud computing and SaaS to sovereign computing and self-hosting is an operating system that is purpose-built and optimized to enable a normal person, a normal computer literate person, to administer a home server, a personal server from their home and run anything they want on it and access it from anywhere in the world privately, anonymously, securely, and with impunity. That's basically what we set out to do, which is a massive undertaking. Um, it sure is. <laughs> Yeah, it's hard, to, it's hard did, enough right? when you Fast know. Fast forward four years, yeah, we're doing it, right? Like, say, it, it works. When it's you know alive, what you're it doing, works. it's still, it's hard to do, <laughs> to set up, you know, like just setting up a server, putting up a VPN on, you know, just making it accessible to your, even yourself, yeah. let alone uh, having apps connect to it remotely, right? So yeah. it, it's challenging. So what's cool is that there is growing demand for this, right? Like it's working. Like, like people yeah. are starting to wake up and say, hey, I don't, I don't want all my photos on iCloud. That's not right. my server. Those aren't my photos anymore as soon as I put them up there. Like, I want them on my own. Like, this is starting to become a thing, which is really, really cool to see. And as such, there are multiple teams out there trying to build um, server OS-like uh, solutions, right? Like, there's a, there's a few different projects and teams out there working on something adjacent, at least, to what we are doing, which is great to see because it does, everyone sharpens everyone, which is really right, cool. Right, right. And a lot, of the, a lot of those Docker images get more refined and updated quicker, those That's YAML right. files, um, yep. you know. And, and there, I look at these things as kind of um, segmented into two paths, the way, the way I see it at the moment. And I'm sure I'm not 100% accurate on this, but there's the, I just want to self-host some files and things or run a jellyfin server or something like that at my house. And then there's the, I want to also run a Bitcoin node and Bitcoin node things, whether it's a Dojo server or a lightning node, you know, some kind uh, there's different apps for that. So there, there's kind of, but they do, there's a lot of crossover between the two. And I know there's a lot of people that may want to run one without the Bitcoin node stuff. Um, and then there's others that want definitely to embrace uh, that and participate in the decentralization of that network as well. Um, and so it, it seems like everyone, not everyone, but some of the projects that I'm familiar with are trying to maybe tackle one or the other or all of it together. Yeah. yeah. We're definitely the all of it category, right? right. Like we're, we're not even a... Like we don't we don't have um, any real skin in the game with what people run on their servers, right? Like we don't think that's our business. Just like Apple, for instance, wouldn't tell you what apps to run on your phone. In fact, they do, right? They, well, they do encourage certain things and sure. not other things, and we can do that as well. Like we can promote and you know uh, back and support certain things and not other things. But ultimately, our our stance is it's it's your server run whatever you want on it, right? It's not our business to um, 
to try to prevent you from running something or to force you to run something. So like start OS is a blank slate operating system. When you install start OS onto a, onto a piece of hardware, like an old laptop or a mini PC, um, or God forbid a raspberry Pi, uh, <laughs> when you do that, um, we have no opinion, right? You, start OS fires up and it's like, okay, what is this server going to be? So you can be like, all right, I want this server to be my Bitcoin node and my lightning node. And then you fire up another server and you're like, all right, uh, I'm just going to run Nextcloud on this one. And then you fire up a third server and you're like, okay, this one's going to be my blog and my website and all the things that face the public, right? Right. So you can divide up your servers any way you see fit. And in fact, that is a very <laughs> secure and healthy thing to do because if you run all your stuff, Bitcoin node, Lightning node, Nextcloud, Jellyfin, you're running it all on one server and some of the things you're running on that server are intended for public access, like a blog, you are being insecure, right? You right. are, you are, you're inviting, granting, you're inviting, you're showing risk. people that it exists at least, right. you know? Right. Um, and at most there's actually like a software vulnerability and because they have your blog, you know, address, they now can see you're running a lightning node and they see how much money you have. And it's like, yeah, that's, that's not good. Um, so, but we are a general purpose tool. Right? Sure. We, we have not built a server that is meant to run everything or is meant to just run Bitcoin or is meant to just run Nextcloud. It's whatever you want it to be. It's a general purpose operating system. You choose what to install on each server. Um, and there's no limit to right. what it can run. That's the point. Start OS, because it has no opinion or even knowledge, really, of upstream services, like the Start OS code is unaware of what's running on it. It does not know in advance that Bitcoin even exists. So what that means is in theory, and very soon actually in practice, anything that you can imagine, any piece of software, any program, uh, will be ingestible by StartOS. It's just a matter of someone taking a day to package it up into our package format. Right. And um, so is is the uh, is the base install of Start OS is that open source as well? Like are are, yeah. are people okay? So people yeah. and, and I'm asking some questions um, that I already know the answer to, but I, I just okay. want it to, uh, to to for for the audience to understand. Like I, I really push if if you're going to move away from a closed uh, environment or a proprietary environment or something that's owned by big tech and move it into something else that's self hosted. Uh, a lot of times people will think, well, I'll just get the, you know, off the shelf, you know, I, you know, I'll, I'll just use QNAP or Synology or something. And those are, those, some of those are great products, but you don't want to move just from one proprietary lock-in code base to another one, just because it's running in your home. It may actually be worse long-term, but you want it to be as open and free as possible uh, to, to make sure that you don't have any of these restrictions down the road uh, that, that might encumber you from, you know, Correct. accessing your data. Um, yeah, there are tiers of openness in, in sure. software. Right? There, there, are, um, there are. You know, I I have a slightly nuanced take on some of the licensing stuff, which some people listening to this show and definitely others in the world are aware of because I've gotten into it uh, on Twitter and I've um, I did a three-hour Citadel Dispatch I, I listened to it. I listened to um, it. Yeah, it was good. Where I was... Where, yeah. yeah, where I was something of the nuanced take and, and a lot of the, the others in the space are, are very dogmatic when it comes to licensing. I see licensing 
as um, a, a tool and a strategy, right? Like I do not view licenses and licensing as some sort of um, kind of like principled religious almost obligation, right? Like people are free. That's my principle is that people are free to do whatever they want. And if someone wants to uh, write some software and utilize the state apparatus to protect that software as property and prevent people from using it in one way or another, um, literally speaking, they have the right to do that. Like that is within the realm of the law. It, it is the IP law is evolving. I'm pretty much against IP law in general, but it is a highly nuanced conversation that I'm not going to try to summarize right now. Sure. But assuming that you in any way, shape or form believe that non-physical goods can be property, then it is perfectly within the right of somebody to, to own non-physical goods and to have the, uh, the law enforce their ownership accordingly. Um, so without getting too much into that, I uphold somebody's right to, to build closed source software, to build source available software where the source code is visible, but there's some sort of restriction, uh, on the code. Sure. And the vast majority, vast majority of things that people refer to as open source, including the things that people refer to as FOSS, which is free and open source, which is considered the like um, kind of the holy grail of yeah, open the source. David meaning Stallman, that free, yeah, yeah, the, open source. The vast majority, uh, I, don't wanna, I don't know if I want to use that phrasing, uh, at least in my uh, awareness, the majority of things that are FOSS have restrictions. There is almost no software in the world that comes without restriction. For example... Uh, one of the one of the favorites of the FOSS community, the free and open source software community, of which I'm a member and I uphold, is GPL. That is a favorite license, right? AGPL. Right. Well, AGPL comes with a massive restriction, <laughs> massive, that can only be enforced by the state apparatus, right? So when you release software under the AGPL license, you are saying very loudly, that you believe in intellectual property and that the government has the right to enforce such property. Because what you are saying with AGPL is you cannot use this software. You are placing a massive restriction on the code and software in such a way that is not open, right? It's, it's why it's called the viral license. It's like, here's a piece of software that is completely free to use and open, but if you try to take it and close it, I'm going to sue you, <laughs> gotcha. right? So there's this huge restriction on that license, which could only possibly be enforced by the state. Right. So where I have an issue <laughs> with some of the FOSS community, as I expressed on the Citadel Dispatch episode, is that there seems to be this elephant in the room that is contradictory. It's like a well, what is important here, right? What is the goal of open source software? There's a couple different goals. One is to ensure the um, quality and security of the software, right? Like, is this software 
good and secure. That has nothing to do with your license, right? Right. I can, I can, there is closed source software out there, right? Software that is not even visible that in theory could be completely secure. And in fact, look at Mac OS. Mac OS is completely closed source. It works amazing and is completely secure from your neighbors, from some random hacker at the airport, right? Like right. your Mac is completely secure. Who is it not secure from? Well, it's not secure from Apple. Right. right. <laughs> Apple can probably do some crazy shit in there if they wanted sure. to. It's not secure from the government. But is Apple and the government your threat model? Right. Well, increasingly, yes. yes. Right. <laughs> increasingly, a lot of people are saying yes. And so that is the market playing out, right? That is people saying, okay, it is no longer acceptable for us to use something that is closed source, no matter how good and secure it is, because we don't trust you. We don't yeah. trust Apple. We want to see the code. And so then what happens? Somebody goes, okay, I'll make a source available operating system where you can see the code, but I'm still going to lean on the state to restrict how you use it in some way or another. And that's what Start9 did, right? Not, not many people know this. Start9 started out with closed source software. It wasn't even source available. When we sold our first server, Mm-hmm. At Unconfiscatable, the Bitcoin conference in Vegas, we sold our first server. It was closed source software. Bitcoiners were buying Raspberry Pis <laughs> with our operating system pre-installed on it, and the code was invisible. It was completely closed source. Hmm. We knew at the time when we were distributing servers with closed source software on it that eventually we were going to have the freest license possible. We knew that at the time. Right. But we also had a strategy because, again, I don't view licensing. We don't view licensing as some sort of like always principled thing. It's like a it's a it's a tool. Right. We viewed our license as a tool to help nurture start OS into something that could survive. It's it's basically the same way that we use wires and components and money it's like they're all tools to help start OS survive. And so you can debate me, anyone can, on the soundness of our strategy. You can be like, oh, well, <laughs> that was unnecessary. You guys absolutely could have just come out of the gate as MIT and everything would have been perfectly fine and start OS would have survived. Maybe that's true, but that's that's armchair quarterbacking, right? Sure. That is That is looking at something retroactively and from a third-party objective stance and trying to draw conclusions. When you're inside of something and you're trying to build something and you're strategizing and you know what the end game is, it's a little, it's, it's harder to see. And so I don't know if that was necessary or not. I don't know if it was necessary to start closed source and then move to what we moved to after closed source was personal use, right? Okay. It was source available, Okay. And you could do anything you wanted with it, but only for your own personal use. Okay. Meaning we didn't even let you distribute it to somebody else. Like if you got your hands on start OS, great, do whatever you want with it, but you are not allowed to like change the code and send it to somebody. Okay. It was for your personal use only. Then from there, we dropped the personal use clause 
and only kept the non-commercial clause, which was, okay, great. Now you can do anything you want with Start OS except commercialize it. You can change it. You can fork it. You can clone it. You can audit it. You can test it. You can distribute it for free. You can do anything you want. You just can't sell it. We're the only ones that are allowed to sell it. Okay. Then we dropped that. (laughs) And we were just like, fuck it. Do whatever you want with it. It's MIT, right? And MIT, in my opinion, is the only (laughs) actual FOSS license. I, I People will try to crucify me for that. But I am against intellectual property for the most part. Again, it's a little nuanced, but for sure. the most part, I'm against intellectual property. And I am especially against leveraging the state apparatus to enforce at the point of a gun intellectual property. Right. And that's why StartOS is MIT is because it's the only license that says do whatever you want with this. And there's nothing under any circumstances that I can do to stop you. There's no government official to call. There's no court of law to go to do anything you want with it. And there's nothing I can do to stop you. So, you know, in a very kind of beautiful way, and we had a nice little cheers to this when we did it, we set start OS free. It doesn't belong to us literally in any way, shape or form. It does not belong to us. We are, it's, custodians in a sense right we are its supporters and maintainers we champion it we build it but it doesn't belong to us it's public infrastructure right that's was it hard to make that decision to go you know to the mit license um or or was that kind of where your heart was uh no or where you knew your heart would be i guess when you hit that that point in your journey it was it was always part of the plan what was unknown was when right right and there was multiple twitter exchanges that i had with people (laughs) where i said things like i keep asking people like someone would come in and be like oh that's not free software it is a non-commercial clause and i would always respond and i would go tell me why it is better for start os because that's what i care about right i care about the survival of my baby here why is it better for start os for me to drop the non-commercial clause now. Sure. Because I always said, it's going to get dropped. You give me one good reason why I should drop it right now, and I'll do it. And their response was always, you're full of shit. You're just trying to sell stuff that you're never going to let it. And I, I said, okay, so so no, you don't have a good reason for me. Because if you give me one, I'll right. drop it. And we finally got a decent answer. Because I kept throwing it out there. Tell me why we should drop it now, and we'll drop it. Aaron Dews, who is the ex-Umbral contributor who forked Umbral and then created Citadel, had a nice exchange with me. Um, Some was public and some was private. And he didn't sort of give me the, here's why you should do it now, but the exchange led me to no longer, um, it led me to understand that keeping the non-commercial clause was an illusory protection. That it wasn't actually serving in any way at this point. Maybe it was in the past. And again, like I said, I don't want to nitpick my own strategic decisions that I made over the last four years. We are where we should be and where we always knew we would get to. 
I don't want to dig in, into too much. Like it's, it's just a waste of time to an sure. extent into like what small mistakes may have been made. But I, I did come to realize that at this moment in time, the non-commercial clause was no longer serving a real purpose uh, in, in a positive sense. However, it was serving a negative purpose, right? I was able to identify uh, negative consequences of having the non-commercial clause, but I was unable I was unable to identify any positive uh, effect. Okay, and so I dropped it. That was it. That was all we needed. Hmm. And I, I called a meeting of our board, which is you know basically just the founders and one of our investors, and was just like. I think we should drop the non-commercial clause. Here's why. I, I think it's I think it's hurting us in these ways, and I think that it could benefit us in these ways. And right. they agreed, and it was a unanimous vote, which is very rare, by the way. I was going right? to say it was unanimous. <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. very rare. Which sure. is that most projects move in the other direction. Most projects start open source, and then they start to get some funding, and then they right. start to like realize that. Oh crap, it's hard to like pay people to do things if you if you don't have something to sell and right. nobody will give you something to sell. You can't sell something unless you own it. And so it's like, oh crap, they all tend towards closed source and centralization. It's very rare for a company to start out closed source, raise money, <laughs> right. sell products and move in the direction of open source. And we're like very proud of that. We think that that is a testament to our integrity that that we mean this shit. We're not right. LARPing. We're not, you know, me and the rest of the Start9 team are not saying buzzwords and riding Bitcoin's coattails, hoping to raise in VC funding and retire on the beach. We're, we're like, we're in it for the revolution. We're here for things that go beyond business success. We want to have business success. That's part of what makes us unique, actually, amongst the open source communities, that we're not some sort of charitable foundation. We're not just doing this out of charity. We are selling products and providing right. support, and we're going to charge for that. And we're going to make money, and we want to make money. That's a good, virtuous thing. You just shouldn't do it by cheating or lying or right. stealing. You should do it by building something that is actually good for you and your friends and your family and the world and the future. You should build something good and useful and make a ton of money doing it. That's like sure. the ultimate success. That's what we want to do. And and you all sell the products because I know I was actually looking at them. I, I think I even tweeted you guys a couple of times uh, about selling out on, <laughs> on some of the uh, devices that you sell. I mean, I, mm -hmm. I know you can self-host. There's a curl script to install it. You know, you can install it anywhere, but not um, for StartOS. There's not, but oh, oh, oh right. Okay. There are, there are equivalents that have that StartOS isn't, isn't, actual operating system right okay so it's an so, it, you download the image burn it yeah, yeah. you need to like yeah. you're, you're flashing it to the damn hardware right right, right. like right. whereas some of the the other products are, are actually just a piece of software that's running on the os they're not actually operating systems right but you yeah. guys sold out quick <laughs> on those devices we did yeah. we we ran a big deal <laughs> i know and they flew off the shelf uh unexpectedly and now we are scrambling to get more back in stock um and we will have some soon, but cool. luckily, StartOS, you know, is just something that you can download and run on any old piece of hardware. Sure. So if you really want something, you want it now. I hate to say this, but 
there's a lot of computers out there that you can buy and just install StartOS on it. We yeah. love it when people buy from us because it's how we fund development. But. Exactly. And there's projects that I, I, I try to support financially. I mean, I just, I, I've been running a Dojo server for a couple of years and during, yeah. you know, just recently bought a Tonto server from them. Uh, nice. Again, you can run it anywhere, but I wanted, I wanted one device that was dedicated to that was just running the running dojo software to connect the samurai wallet to and it was doing yep. nothing else so i'm a big believer in compartmentalization like you had mentioned earlier separating those things out especially especially yep. if you have you know uh, funds on, on something or attached to a wallet that's attached to, to something um and then a completely separate uh, system for all of my lightning channels and things like that is on a completely different box. And I, I wanted to yeah. separate those two out. So, um, so yeah, I yeah. mean, as as we talked about a little bit ago, it, it is good practice. <laughs> like when you have something that's really important, um, you want as few moving parts as possible, right? You don't want to, you don't need a Rube Goldberg machine to pour a cup of coffee, right? right? Just get a just get a coffee cup, right? Uh, get a get a um, measuring cup and pour it out that's it <laughs> exactly um, so yeah. but but here's the here's the kind of catch right so as i said earlier start os is completely unopinionated it's just an operating system and you in theory could install the dojo stack on start os now right. you can't today because it's not packaged right it's just not a it's not a uh, a selection of software services that we as a team or someone in the community has taken it upon themselves to package. But in right. theory, it absolutely can run on StartOS. Sure. Um, and it, it will, right? I have no doubt in my mind that the exact set of software services that are running currently on your, your, your Tonto could be run on a StartOS server. It would literally be an identical device. Here's the difference, right? And I think what what uh, like Zelko would argue as well is that Ronin Dojo, the the, the software stack, right, is right. is not a general purpose OS. You can't install other stuff on it. It is no. incredibly hard coded and opinionated about what you are running, which Correct. is promoted as a as a good thing. And I agree. Here's the catch: it's still running on an operating system. Correct. It's running on something, right? Like there's Ubuntu or Debian. I'm not sure what the Tontos are running on. I'm not sure what the base OS is. But the point is, is that that base OS is still this incredibly capable, multifaceted operating system. You sure. can install all sorts of stuff on it. It could have vulnerabilities out the wazoo. Sure, sure. Right? So it's yeah. like you can't escape. You can't escape the idea that you need an operating system. Right. <laughs> so... And so with StartOS, I actually think that there's an argument to be made that it's more secure because that's what we're developing. We are developing the OS. We're not just crossing our fingers and hoping that the OS developers do a good job. We right. are developing the OS. Right. So we're getting as low as we can. Now, even we are, in a way, crossing our fingers a little bit, not as much maybe as these other projects, when it comes to like the Debian developers, because StartOS, like all Linux distros, is based on some lower level Linux sure. distro, right? Like right. it's still just stacked. So like, yes, StartOS is an OS, but we use so much, so much of the OS is based on Debian that we actually are in a way hoping the Debian devs do their job. And then the Debian devs 
are based on the Linux kernel, and they, as well as everyone else, are crossing their fingers, hoping that Linus Torvald does his job. Right. Because he is Linux. Correct. <laughs> right. Like, it's one guy. <laughs> right. Lots of people contribute to the kernel, sure. but nothing, nothing goes into Linux that is not personally reviewed and approved by Torvald. Right. Right. So and there are a lot of dependencies with any uh, stack like that, right? Even yeah. like libraries that you guys depend on uh, that are being developed libraries, by, absolutely. you know, yeah. a, a totally different uh, set of hands. So um, I wanted to ask you a question going back to the value of Start9, because uh, we understand that, you know, anyone could just download it. And based on the MIT license, you pretty much have given it to the world. But uh, a lot of people um, are intimidated by the idea of not having uh, any help channel. So that is something that they can do, right? I mean, this is one of the great things about uh, you know, what companies like yours, where you have the device, you can feel comfortable running the software because you understand now like, okay, this is, this is not only just open source. It's like, it's, it's, it's MIT open source. And, but there is some, someone that they can reach out to so they can buy the hardware and they can also pay for support if they need it. Right. Is that part of the support is what it all comes down to. Support, right? Like right. we, we realized even, even when we were closed source selling it again, we were never going to stay there we realized even then that ultimately the only defensible position that we have as a company is convenience and community. Right. Right. And you could add support to that, but I would almost include support and convenience and, and I, I community, would as well. right? it's like, it's, it's, it's a subcategory of those. Right. But that's it. It's convenience and community. That's what we are selling because the software we're building doesn't belong to us. You can use it. You can run it on any hardware you want. Somebody else could literally just claim it. Somebody could literally walk in and claim start OS, call it something else and just do what we're doing. Um, but I don't think they're going to be able to provide the same convenience and community that we provide, right? Like that is what we are selling. It's actually a service. And if you think about it, that's most things, right? Like sure. what does a restaurant sell when you go out to eat? Yeah, they sell food, but anyone can make that food. Like, right. yes, maybe they have some sort of like superstar chef, right? But no chef is so good that another good chef can't walk in, eat the food, and in a week's time figure out how to make it, right? right? Like there is no, <laughs> there is nothing defensible without IP law. Nothing is defensible. Everything can be reverse engineered and built. But what's hard to recreate is the overall experience. What's hard to recreate is the convenience and the community of that restaurant, right? Like, why do you go to that restaurant? Well, you don't want to do dishes. You don't want to cook. You don't want to do dishes. You love the atmosphere. The hosts and hostesses and waiters are super nice. The owner walks around the restaurant and greets all the patrons, makes sure that they're happy. They play great music. They have karaoke on Friday nights. It's just like, that's what you're buying, you're not right. buying the damn food. You're buying the entire experience. And we have, are, and will continue to provide the five-star sovereign computing experience. Anyone else can try, and I think they will, sure. especially if we keep continue to gain in popularity. But we're the we're the original. We're the we're you know we're gonna be the the great restaurant that sells out and is booked eight months in advance. We're gonna and we're gonna do that not because we invented the software, but because we understand it better than anyone. We talk about it better than anyone. We provide the best support I've ever seen. Period. 
not just in our space, not just in the Bitcoin space, not even in the technology space. If someone has a problem with their Start OS device, they are getting help in under five minutes from a live human who is paying one-on-one attention to them, period. We always do that. We always have. And that's the essence of business is the overall experience. Right. Um, and so you have to monetize it. You, sure. you have to have revenue. Sure. And so to date, the only thing we've actually sold explicitly is physical devices with StartOS pre-installed. And that's a nice place to start. Where we're going is pretty cool, right? Like we're not just going to sell servers. Like we are going to make money in other ways. And it's also not super complicated. The way that we're going to make money starting next year is um, StartOS is finally getting to the point in its development. Like it's still a beta product, right? Like (laughs) StartOS is like not ready for prime time. It's really important that anyone listening to this understands that. Right. Um, This is not like a super non-techie, pleb-friendly thing that just anyone can spin up and use flawlessly forever. Sure. Like, it's not there yet. It's right. probably further along than anything else on the market in with that regard, but it's not ready. Um, but as of next year, probably, you know, summertime, give or take, StartOS will reach a level of maturity that we believe it will be usable by businesses to actually run their companies and daily operations that businesses will be able to abandon uh, SaaS providers like Slack, Dropbox, Google Drive, Zoom, Calendly, yada, 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 right? Right. All this stuff. People will be able to cancel their subscriptions. Businesses will cancel their subscriptions. And not only will they save a ton of money by shifting to a sovereign computing self-hosted model, but they will also regain control over their company's data. Which is um, which is even more important right. to companies than it is to some individuals, especially right. companies that deal with sensitive data like law firms and medical offices. Um, so not only are we going to save them a boatload of money and regulatory hassle because all the companies that they do business with have to be, you know, like have certain certifications and data practices and GDPR bullshit. And like, it just, again, it's like, it's so much easier to just do it yourself if you have the tools, which is what we're building. Um, so not only will they save money, but they will regain control. And so what are we selling, right? We're selling the entire concierge experience. If your business is ready to save a bunch of money and take back control of your data, give us a call. We will make sure that you get the exact hardware that your business needs based on the, you know, the, the details of your business, like how many people visit your blog every day, blah, blah, blah. You're going to need, okay, you're going to need three different servers in three different locations, all this power. So we're going to help you get the entire thing set up from an IT and implementation standpoint. Then we are going to provide a 24-7, 365, on-demand phone call support so that if it's 3 o'clock in the morning in your part of the world and your company's website is down, you can call us. And we will troubleshoot that with you in real time and get it back up and running in a matter of minutes. Um, the reason we don't offer this service today is because I can't guarantee that today. Right. There's a circumstance today where somebody calls me at three in the morning and says, hey, my website is down on my server. I don't know what to do. And I'm like, oh, crap, you found a bug in StartOS. You're going to have to like reflash. It's going to take like a whole right. thing. You're right. store from backup. And a business is just going to be like, fuck you. I'm going back to Apple. Right? Sure, sure. So StartOS just isn't ready for that kind of mission-critical use case. But 
I think we're getting really close. It's getting really good. And I think that by the middle of next year, it will have the features and uh, sort of reliability and security guarantees that a business needs to feel comfortable moving their infrastructure to it. Right. Um, And we are going to sell not only the onboarding experience and the hardware, but we're also going to sell that 24-7, 365 white glove on-demand support that businesses need to feel comfortable. And so at the end of the day, a business that adopts this product is going to save a bunch of money, but not all of it, right? Like say like I go in and I save a business $8,000 a month in SaaS fees, which is not unreasonable, by the way, no, for a business of like 50 to 100 people. I'm very aware. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so let's say I go in there and I save them $8,000 a month in SaaS fees. Well, maybe I'll charge them $1,000 a month in 24-7, 365 support. And so they're saving $7,000 a month instead of eight, but Start9 is making what we need to sustain ourselves as a business. So right. it's win-win for everybody, and that is the essence of business. That's the essence of a deal, is that everyone benefits. Um, and those businesses so, that pay for that support help fund the company, which in turn helps kind of uh, continue the further development and contribution to StartOS for everyone for else who isn't an enterprise yeah. or you know business. Well, they get to help so. make the roadmap. Right? right. I mean, they, right. they're calling us, and they're not just like, hey, there's a bug. They're like, hey, I really need this feature. Right. And now they're actually designing their own operating system for their own self-hosting needs to an extent. Yeah. So that's where we go. And then further, we have an even cooler (laughs) long-term monetization strategy, which is that we've been on this call the entire time. And the only thing we've talked about is personal servers and data and Bitcoin nodes. What about security cameras and Right, health bracelets that are tracking your heart rate and tracking your sleep patterns and smart speakers and your car. Like what, what about all these devices in the world, thermostats and door locks and, we're gonna and need, everything else? We're going to need, we're going to need options for that. Uh, well, cause right now every single one of those fucking things mm-hmm. does not belong to you. Literally. None of it, none right? of it does. Yeah, sure. It's, it's, it's all just some appliance that's in your house or on your body mm-hmm. that is just feeding 24-7 live data to a server that you don't control. And again, the second you ship that data off to a third-party server, it no longer belongs right. to you. It's not third-party your data doctrine. anymore. Exactly, yep. yep. Invasion of privacy, mass surveillance, you know, extortionary subscription fees, honeypots. Imagine when those servers get hacked and everyone in the world can see you know, the last time you had your period. It's like, right. it's just like... It's obnoxious. The, the, the idea that smart devices are going to proliferate our world in such a way that they all feed the data back to third-party servers and you get charged for that, to me, is, is like a laughable it's like trip of history. Right. It's just like, it, it is. <laughs> what the fuck were the humans thinking when they did that? And the other thing that uh, concerns me and it should concern most people is a lot of these IOT devices, uh, like in the home, you are talking about like home automation cameras, light bulbs, mm-hmm. all that fun stuff. They're, they're typically cheaply manufactured and the firmware is not managed. It's not updated. It's not pushing OTA. It's which, you know, it's proprietary and it, which is, it's not great in itself, but it's also not being patched. So any zero days that are that are found, uh, like you said, you're, you know, it's just exposing yourself uh, more than than the benefit of what you're receiving. The risk trade off is not going to be worth it. Um, 
the more the more that we integrate all of these always on always connected type devices into our lives yes they can be convenient but the trade-off can be wildly inconvenient and even detrimental to a lot of people so um so ultimately where we go with this right is that start os acts as the cornerstone right the sort of the foundation stone of an entirely new computing paradigm where we get all the things we currently are getting, which is all these smart devices that are all internet connected, right? And our lives get more convenient and smarter, but all of the data that they collect. So first of all, the device itself is owned completely by you. All the data that it collects is sent to a private server or multiple private servers on a private network that you and you alone control and knows exists. And ultimately, you know, StartOS is free software. And there's a lot of old computers laying around in the world. There are. Old laptops, mini PCs, little Mac minis from 2014, et cetera, et cetera, right? And so we have a lot of people who are using our technology, who are using StartOS, but not paying us in any way, right? Because right. they just installed it on an old computer. We love that. We think that's great. But you know what they don't have laying around? You know what there's not an abundance of in the world? Is a bunch of 2015 Nest cameras that could be rigged to collect private footage, right? right. Like we're going to have to build those and sell those, right? Like there is no DIY. I mean, there will be, there will be options, I'm sure, but not nearly to the extent that there is with a server. So it's really easy and common to DIY a server running start OS. It's going to be very uncommon for somebody to DIY a camera that seamlessly plugs into the StartOS ecosystem. I see. People will do it. Again, we will always make sure that that's possible. But my point is just that this stuff isn't just laying around. Like, if someone DIYs the camera, for instance, they're still going to have to buy a camera. Sure. Like, there's no escaping the fact that you have to buy a camera. Right. So why not buy it from us? Sure. Why not buy it from the company that's building it and yeah. making it possible. Like it, it's almost like you're hurting yourself by DIYing at that point. Cause you're not saving any money. It's not like we're going to extort people, right? Like right, right. we sell our servers at very reasonable prices and we're going to sell our cameras at very reasonable prices. So if you're the kind of person that needs to save $10 by refusing to contribute to the company, that's building the thing that you really value and want it's like, okay, I'll give you a thumbs up. I really don't hate you, but like you're kind of misguided at that point. Like you're kind of missing the point. And so that's what we're going to sell. Not only are we going to sell this convenience and support uh, to businesses, but in the coming years, this is not next year, by the way, right, we right. are going to be selling all sorts of other devices. Um, that plug into your sovereign computing network and, I, I think and that's, infrastructure. I think it's awesome. I, I love that there are more companies now that we have options to buy from that help support that entire mission, whether it's a System76 laptop, like I own one of those. You know, there's yep. uh, various other... I, mean, I won't mention Purism because they've had a, <laughs> a lot of issues. And I, I actually own a Librem 5. It's sitting on a shelf right now. Um, yeah, so, I'm sure that's where it'll sit. <laughs> you, yeah. know, but, but, uh, you know, but the, the more companies that can actually start um, providing 
not just the software, but the whole solution and the support, I think will then uh, make it less scary for people to jump ship from the things that they're used to using because they know that it's so big and they can get support for it if they need it. Um, I mean, this is, I think, one of the biggest problems like Linux has in itself is like it's still, uh, yes, we a lot of us run Linux on the desktop. A lot of us definitely run them on our servers, but it's hard to get the average person to switch to a Linux desktop from Mac OS or windows when oh, yeah. you kind of have to have a little bit of, of uh, aptitude i would say uh, and desire right so Absolutely. this kind of um lowers that barrier that challenge because if like well if i can do this but if i have a problem i have a, an avenue versus just some forum somewhere and hopefully i don't get you know, told to RTFM and STFW and all this other stuff and they can actually help me <laughs> right and then that's how we I don't know. I think that's kind of how we win hearts and minds is by not only just having the solution, but the support is option as well. So of course, I mean, yeah. it's terrifying. Yeah, it can be. Absolutely. Uh, it's absolutely terrifying to take control of your own life. Right. Yes. Um, especially when you don't understand how it works, right? Like growing your own vegetables, for instance, is a huge step sure. for someone to take, but at least it's like, <laughs> at least it's, physical and they can like pick up a normal school book right and just kind of like get what's happening right you know right but when it comes to like self-hosting your own server infrastructure and accessing it over private networks it's just like go get a four-year degree you know what i mean right. like, it, you you're not gonna get this right so what we need to do is find what that threshold is like how much of this do you actually need to understand and it's non-zero, right? Like you do have to learn something. You sure. can't just be a blind idiot and expect this to work. And people do, by the way. We have some of them who show up and they're just like literally expecting their self-sovereign server running a novel Linux distro working over private networks to just work, right? Yeah. Like with nothing on their part. Like no, they didn't even look at the instructions. They right. literally just expected to plug it in and have like a genie come out and sure. make it work. And I'm like, we're not there. We might never be there. There's going to be some level of literacy necessary. And we think that's okay. And if people aren't willing to do that, because quite frankly, that is where I kind of, <laughs> it's where I run into a brick wall and I end my super passionate, optimistic um, kind of outlook. Right is I, and it, it doesn't turn pessimistic, doesn't even turn cynical. It just, I know that ultimately this is a choice that people are going to have to make, that we cannot, no matter how convenient we make it, it's never going to be as convenient as Google. Sure. Ever. Because they're doing it for you. That's the point. You're sure. a child. It's right. always harder to be an adult than it is to be a child. I, maybe not. I have two kids and it's pretty hard. But <laughs> I have two it's kids. hard in a different yeah, way. Yeah, You're yeah. frustrated. Right, right. But everything is done for you, okay? Right. And as an adult, you have to do things yourself. And so I don't know which way humanity is going to go. Like really, I, I consider it my job to provide whatever education and information that I can through forums like this mm -hmm. to build products that make it easier 
and easier and easier for a person to reach out and take back what's theirs, control over their own computing infrastructure and data. Um, and to do it myself, to walk the walk, right? For me, for my company, for my family to actually, you know, use my own products. Right. Um, cause if I can't, then nobody can. Right. So, right. um, that's my job. I don't know if people are going to do it. I, I don't know. I, I, I was seriously disillusioned with the, um, what do you call it? The, uh, the dignity of humanity over the past few years, right? Like I was always fairly, I always largely glorified humanity and human nature, right? I was like, Oh, like humans are amazing. Look at what we do. And I still stand by that. Um, but watching in real time, right? Not just reading about it in history, book, but watching and experiencing firsthand Mm -hmm. how, weak, (laughs) lazy, and quite frankly, just vicious people can be and how quickly they can become that way um, has really made me, like I still stand by the glory of humanity, but there's this whole other side that I'm not sure (laughs) uh, isn't going to win, right? Like, People might just choose to be slaves forever. It just yeah. that just might be humanity's destiny to gradually move towards a queen bee like universal suffering and dictatorship model mm-hmm. uh, of society until AI wipes us all out and we nuke ourselves into oblivion <laughs> right. and it's all over. Right? Like that could happen. I, it's I more and more look yeah. at that entire scenario and timeline, and I'm like, yeah. That could happen, right? We, we're just not meant to survive. Like we, we're missing some independence gene that causes people to just want to be children forever and slaves forever. And um, I don't think that's true, right? Right? Like I'm still I'm still on the positive side of the equation I, here. I just yeah. more so than ever before think the other side is possible. It, well. It's uh, I feel like I think what's happening is, and I, I completely uh, agree with your assessment on that. And I have my own, like I have a very similar outlook, but I, I think that there are a lot of people uh, that are trying to start to understand what they can do. Like they're not quite there yet. Um, uh, when I say there yet, they're not throwing their iPhones away quite yet for graphene OS on a pixel. They're not quite yeah. there yet on unplugging themselves from, from Gmail and the, you know, typical stuff, but they're, but they, but they are frustrated and they're looking for options and solutions and, and, you know, just getting them started with, uh, Hey, use a password manager for everything. Uh, you know, you know, these compartmentalize your life, use aliases, you, you know, um, you just said my like favorite phrase ever right now, which is you, I think you said you just got to get started. Correct. Like that's partly why we're called start, right? Like we orient everything around start it's not where the name started, but it is how we've evolved where it's like, this isn't, we're not called finish nine. You don't need to do it all. You don't (laughs) need to do the whole thing in the first weekend. Just take that first step. You've got to just start, right? Like do one thing, take back one shred of dignity. It's like exercise. Just Just, get out there and do something. You don't need to be a professional athlete, but you need to do something, right? Like, just start. And what we have found is that when people do that, when they take that mindset, like, okay, I don't know if I'm going to stick with this. I don't know how far it goes. 
but I'm going to get started, is that they tend to be surprised at the accessibility. They tend to be like, oh, this isn't so bad. Right. Like, I can do this. And then what happens is the self-esteem and the momentum build organically, right? Mm-hmm. When, when somebody comes in and they're overwhelmed, then even if they get something right, they still don't ever like catch the bug. They, they, there's no time for the momentum to build. You can't go from snowflake to gigantic snowball in one step, right? You have to let it roll a little bit. You've got to let it get going. So I actually slow people down who come right. in and they're all gung-ho and they're like, oh, I'm going to do it all. I'm, I'm fuck the apple. I'm taking it. Right. All. I'm like, you need to chill out <laughs> and just turn on one thing. Right. Right. Like, right. What do passwords. Right. And then you know what? Sit on it for like a month. Don't do anything else. Just feel it. Bask in the glory of your passwords being on your own server. Right. And then one day you're going to wake up and you're going to be itching so hard to do something else that you're going to do that. And it's like getting tattoos. It just becomes this addiction. It becomes this like more, more, more sovereignty, more independence. But if you start out that way, you're going to burn out. You're going to be overwhelmed. And so it's not about finishing. It's about starting. And I really try to encourage people to, to, um, as they start, you know, find someone else to start with them. Uh, it, it might be a family member because, you know, generally in, in my family, I am the guy that's running our family next cloud server. Uh, got everyone over on signal years ago. Now my, both my mom, my brother and my son are all running Graphene OS. You know, it's like, it's, it's been a, it's a, been a multi-year journey. Yeah. Uh, but I, I think it's that really it, sad that you're going to have to offboard them from signal though, <laughs> to something self-hosted. You know, it's, it, you know what though? Um, <laughs> I just look at that as another evolution, right? Because, you know, they came from iMessage or SMS and moved to Signal. And so what's the next iteration? You know, what's the next thing? Well, you know, we don't... Simple X. I really like Simple X. Um, A lot of people in our community are using it. We have group chats. Um, You know, we obviously rely heavily on Matrix and some other uh, communication Matrix is good too. Right. Uh, But that's the thing is I also try to tell people is like, this isn't just like just like you may have started with Android and you went to Apple and you went to this, you're never really going to be on the final thing. You might always be changing. And, you know, and even though you're in an open source or E to E, E, you know, environment, you might still be changing because also to new, new, new solutions, new shit's going to come out that you're going to want to try out. And if you really like it, that you're going to, you're going to, because you do, we still do crave convenience on some level and, and functionality. You know, for, you know, for, for exploration, tinkering purposes, I will always try something that looks cool and is, has some sort of, you know, differentiation, right? Uh, even if it's just user experience, whatever. Um, I have an inside track on simple X, like I, you know, I'm plugged into what's going on over there. Gotcha. Yeah. I think they're going to crush everything. I, 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 I think simple X is, is like, it's, it's the, it's, we finally have reached the thousand year society, right? right? Like, like messaging, uh, has undergone massive evolutions over the last 30 years, right? Like AOL instant messenger <laughs> to, you know, <laughs> yeah. SMS I C- and ICQ, <laughs> you know, MMS. Right. And yeah. And it's just, there's been so many different like messaging. Right. And I think that simple X actually has like cracked the code. They've solved the problem and when I say that, I mean, like, 
in roadmap in theory. Right. It's not done yet. Simple X sure. is very early stage right now. Sure. But it already works great. And he's only you know, I say he Evgeny over there, but but the whole team really they they're like Wait do you see what's coming. Like mm. Simple X is just going to be the holy grail of messaging. It's everything that you want in messaging with none of the trade-offs, none of the um the third-party hosted, the right. you know, surveillance. It's 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 end-to-end encrypted, self-hosted, fully featured using all the most modern techniques in cryptography and user experience. Um, the Simplex UX right now is just a little, like, kind of techy, right? Like, it is. I wouldn't hand it to my mom yet. She's right. not going to get it. Right. But give it, give it another year, and I think one year, really, Simplex will be normal person ready. And then two years from now, I think it starts to dominate the messaging space. I think people start moving from Signal and Telegram in droves in two years from I, now. I, I would like to see that. Um, I mean, because, sure, you know, I played with things like Session, Briar, Kutch. Uh, they all have, you know, like some potential. I do think that Session has uh, a really good user experience, um, but I don't trust it. <laughs> I don't. It doesn't yeah, mean I don't trust shouldn't. the team. It's- I just I wouldn't trust it. It's a cool little app. Uh, but, but, uh, simple X is definitely something we actually have, um, all of our community chats usually happen on Mastodon or on one of our, um, two matrix, uh, rooms, but some, a subset of us are, uh, been for the last couple of months, been, uh, using simple X to experiment and try it out because just, you know, once you've, once you really love something and you try to, then you start converting people, you can't change it. You can't pivot once yeah. it like you can't go from signal to something else and then be like oh you know what never mind let's now go to this oh, one no. it, it doesn't work no, you got to put in the work first right make sure that it's ready for them right. simplex isn't yet but i can tell you so i use simplex obviously um and i connect through my own server right which like is, i'm running a simplex server on start os i love that and and that runs over tor currently okay and everything that runs over tor sucks right sure not simple X. Really? He's got special. Yeah. Well, if you use Android, if you use iOS, yeah, it doesn't work I use Android. as well because, yeah, yeah. because iOS, you know, blocks everything. Sure. Sure. They don't let Tor run in the background, but if you run the simple X um, app on your Android phone, it runs in the background. And uh, Evgeny engineered it such that it falls well under the threshold of Android's protectiveness over the battery life and stuff. Right. So basically once Tor bootstraps, you're like good to go for life, and it's an it's an instant experience. So when I open SimpleX on my phone and send a message and receive messages, um, it doesn't feel like it's going over Tor at all. It's it's live, and I get push I get notifications right. So if somebody sends me a message, a notification pops down and says, you know, you you got a message from this person. Well, how did I receive that notification? In all other apps on your phone, if you are able to receive a push notification it means it's coming through a Firebase server, right? Mm -hmm. That is coming from Google. The only way that I can make your phone beep, for example, right? Like if you're using Signal, the only way that your phone is able to beep and show you that you have a new message from Signal is because Signal servers sent a message to Google servers and said, make that phone beep. (laughs) Here's Mm -hmm. the idea of the phone, make it beep. Which means not only does Signal know that you just got a message, but so does Google. Mm-hmm. 
And that's how push notifications work. SimpleX doesn't do that. Because it's running in the background all the time on your phone, you're not actually receiving a you're not receiving a notification. You're retrieving a notification, right? So right. the the app on your phone actually is connected to your self-hosted server and it's constantly polling it, just being like, hey, are there any new messages? Are there any new messages? Are there any new messages? Gotcha. And finally, right. your server's like, yes, there's a new message. Right. And so the phone creates what's called a local notification instead of a push notification right. in order to alert you that you have one. Now, it looks like a push notification. Sure. It smells like a push notification. It looks identical. There's no difference. But there was no Google server involved. So when I use SimpleX on my phone, it is end-to-end encrypted, onion routed to a self-hosted Tor server that does local notifications. It literally is like the end game of messaging, right? Like right. You can't do better than that from a privacy perspective. Right. There's nowhere left to go. It's end-to-end encrypted, onion routed, self-hosted, and no, no third-party notifications. You're done. There's nothing left to do. That's incredible. He solved it. So if your if your server if you're away and your server uh, for whatever glitches power outage let's say or whatever can it can you set it to default to a different relay like a default relay no or, no no it's just... if if the re if the uh, so in SimpleX they're queues right oh, queues so sorry Nostra I was thinking uses, Nostra for yeah, a second Nostra is relay <laughs> yeah, SimpleX sorry, is yeah, queues yeah. it's the same concept right okay. like SimpleX and Nostra have a lot in common actually um, but in SimpleX it's nothing is stored on the server. It's just a queue. Right, okay. And so as soon as the message is delivered to your client device, it's deleted from the server. Okay. Which is really cool because the client is the only thing that has the message history. That has some trade-offs when it comes to like making backups and stuff like backups that. Backups or, or like uh, if you synchronize, if you want to do desktop synchronization so, or something. So he just launched desktop I saw, sync. yeah. And here's how it works. It's fucking wild, okay? So <laughs> it works... By actually um, doing like a uh, what's like a screen share, like a link between the two devices. Ah, okay. It's not going through the server. You're literally using your phone. It's similar from your laptop, almost like Google Message device pairing, so to speak, right? Like because yes. it's still only pulling it from the phone. It's just now it can bring exactly. It to the, okay. So you're just viewing it on your computer. But it has a nice desktop interface that makes it right. easy to use, right? But it's really still just going through the phone. And then the backup solution, you can automate it and have those backups sent to your own server, encrypted, sure. and all the rest. So it's like, it's going to work. It's just going to take a while to <laughs> kind of iron out the kinks, right? Yeah. It's early days for SimpleX. But the point is, is that there's no there's no asterisk when it comes to what really matters, which is the, the privacy, the security, the independence. Right. It's like, done. We did it. Now what's needed is to build out a user experience around those guarantees that is tolerable by a normal person. Right. And again, I think SimpleX, while it is not there today, I'm very aware of where they're going. Um, I think it's going to be there within a year or two. That's going to be a really good timing. I mean, I, I, just because of a lot of the issues with Signal, um, people don't like the phone number thing. I never liked the phone number thing. Uh, but you know, it was a better solution than SMS or iMessage or something like that. Um, and definitely better than WhatsApp. But 
it's it, it's like an in between. It's a, it's a and I that's what I try to look at all of this is like a lot of this is just in between. As it gets better, we'll continue to evolve yep. into the next thing. Um, so that's that's really cool to hear, and it's cool to know that you're hosting it off your own you know, start OS server because it, that so would be one some, button. Yeah. I, that would be something I would want to run for sure <laughs> is, yeah. is to do that. Running my own server over tour. Didn't need to know anything about how that works or how to do it. It just works. Start, start OS is getting pretty good. It's getting very, very stable and reliable. Um, and as far as the, the marketplace, I just wanted to touch on that. Um, yeah. Is that something that's also growing? Are you, I'm sure it is, but it, you know, it, those are the applications that become available through your, the marketplace and start OS, like a, like an app store, right? Where you can install, uh, I'm assuming they're probably Docker images or Docker containers. They um, are, they are S9 PK packages. Okay. So, okay. Um, those have a container in them, right? Like ultimately everything on start OS is containerized, but you're not just like grabbing a Docker container and, okay. and installing it like you would on something like um, all the other platforms, right. even something on like Ubuntu, right? Right. Um, the way that StartOS is able to deliver such a like incredible user experience um, that doesn't just allow somebody to get up and running. I th- it's worth noting that we haven't touched on this, and I- I'd like to make make note like the primary thing. The primary problem that things like Umbral, MyNode, Ronin Dojo, um, Raspberry Blitz, and others, mm-hmm. uh, I think, are, are solving. Like the main problem that they are solving is to get you up and running with a personal server. Right. It's to get you from zero to one as conveniently, securely, seamlessly as possible. Right. Right. That is the primary problem that they're solving is the problem of, oh, I really want to run that. I have no idea how to do that. And then they're being like, oh, just click this button and you'll be running it. And that's like, fine. There's nothing wrong with solving that problem. However, it is ultimately completely inadequate because servers aren't just these (laughs) plug and play things. They're not just like a um, fire and forget kind of a system, right? You You don't just you don't just download a Docker container and hit start and now you're done. That's right. <laughs> really easy to do. Sure. You know what I mean? Like, in other words, the problem that they're solving wasn't a very difficult problem. It's actually a fairly simple problem to solve. It's basically, basically putting a graphical interface on top of Docker Compose. Yeah. Like, here's the Docker Compose API. Great, build an HTML web app and done. That's basically what Umbral did, Okay. It's easy. We could have built that in like two months. <laughs> sure. Uh, I don't want to do it too much discredit, but but it's not particularly interesting. Okay. Right. The hard problem to solve is how do you how does a completely oblivious non-technical person administer this thing forever without needing to call you? and get help every day, right? right? Like it's, it's the difference between giving somebody fish and teaching somebody how to fish, right? Right. Like, yes, it's nice to be given fish and that solves the problem of I'm hungry. I want some fish right now, but it does not enable you to go get fish by yourself whenever you want. That is a very hard problem to solve because it's, there's so many things that can go wrong, right? Like running a server is just like a, 
Like there's a reason why sysadmins get paid so much money is because there isn't just this short list of like, oh, one, two, three, those are the three things that can go wrong and here's how you solve them. If it was that easy, then this would be an easy problem. The problem is, is that who the fuck knows what's going to happen to your server? Well, I mean, it, it could, there are, it could be. A, <laughs> there's things out of your control, like just what well, happened with the with the previous Ronin Dojo image, where there was a device uh, driver conflict and kept the system from even booting. Yeah, you're talking about hardware. You're talking right. about firmware. You're talking about OS. You're talking about all the upstream applications that are running yeah, on the yeah. OS. You're talking about the user. You're talking about routers. Right? The person's home network can affect this shit. You're talking yep. about parts of the world that try to block Tor. That can affect stuff. You're talking about ISPs. Like There are so many moving parts and inputs into what enables a server to run successfully. Yeah. <laughs> we are trying to build an all-encompassing tool set that a normal person who doesn't have a slightest clue about any of that shit can succeed in running a personal server from their home, business, et cetera, including all the complex uh, aspects like backups, making sure that backups run automatically every day at 2 a.m. to a remote location, fully encrypted, and that that location doesn't delete them. And it's like, it's just such a huge problem. And when I look at what our competitors, quote unquote, have done, because again, I don't really see them as competitors. I like that they're bringing people to the space. Oh, yeah. I like the problem that they're solving. Sure. It's just that we are fundamentally solving a different problem. We are trying to build a cockpit, right. a total like <laughs> like dashboard and cockpit for someone to to feel like a competent sysadmin. Right. Um, and the others were mostly just trying to get you up and running and then show you uh, in a one-way street, sort of a read-only like show you what's happening. Right. But the second you need to take action, the second the system is like, uh-oh, I'm not working, something's wrong, now you have to go do the old-fashioned thing, which right. is pop the hood, get on the command line, and start doing shit. Right. And it's like, okay, well, you haven't really solved the problem then because that was the problem to begin with. So right. if every time something goes wrong, the solution is get on the command line and become a Linux sysadmin, then nobody's going to self-host. Right, right. And or, something's or, always going to go wrong. Yeah, always. Yeah, the, the options can't be reflash the SD card mm-hmm. or drop to the command line and no, it's over. check your FS tab, check the, you know, <laughs> right. Yeah. You've lost everyone. Exactly. And that's that's where we lose people. Except well, us weirdos. We're the yeah. Only people are do that. <laughs> uh, I, I, think, um, I think that's a, quite an, a, a feat to take on, but I, I think that those are the types of things, even if you can get most of the way there, are really going to make it even that much easier for the people that are willing to try but aren't willing to stick it out if it becomes too difficult, like where the friction points are just too too big to overcome. Yeah. Uh, I think, but I, I love seeing, I mean, just look in the last few years, I mean, I've, I have an Umbral running, I have a run in Dojo, I also have a Casa OS server, you know, because I like to play, I like to tinker, I like to try stuff out. I actually have a Dell Optiplex on its way here to run Start OS on, because I was actually trying to get one of the um, uh, the servers from your website during the, uh, it was the, you know, the, first the server one sold out, then the pure sold out, so I was like, ah, crap. So, uh, you know, it's just like, I really want to, I really want to try this out. I really want to experiment and contribute bug reports, whatever. But, you know, even going back to something like Graphene OS, you know, was very difficult to install for people that never used ADB or used a command line tool. And now you can in flash the whole phone through a web browser. Like that's, that's amazing, right? That's so cool. And so many more people were willing to try 
uh, a, this this custom ROM on a Pixel because it's like we've load the bar has been lowered to enter in to start playing around and see if, if it's a good fit. Um, and I I look at like these projects like Start Nine and the other ones that you've mentioned um, is just that kind of next stage uh, for things that typically would be quite complicated and you have to have a lot of uh skill sets already to to know what you're doing uh to now well okay at least you can get started um yes you still need to learn some things but then you know if the stage is down the road where where you can actually even administer it or do let's even say 90 percent of it through a graphical user interface um but the fact that you even provide the support for the ones that need it I think that's going to be the other part of that component that helps people feel comfortable trying something new and taking on that responsibility. Cause it is a big responsibility. Um, I have a friend just this week uh, hit me up and said, you know, I screwed up. I encrypted a volume and they used a password manager, 25 character and Bitwarden and, and, and typed it into the computer. And before they hit save on the record on their phone where they generated the password, it already it glitched out or they accidentally hit regenerate and it was gone. Um, so, I mean, dumb mistake costs a hundred gigs of data. That's now locked with an unknown <laughs> 25 character password on this partition. Um, th- bad things can happen. So it's, you, you have to be aware that when you take on these, these uh, yeah. initiatives that there, there comes this like responsibility layer that you really have to be okay with and take your time. Like you said earlier, slow down, take your time, understand what you're doing, enjoy what you're doing and slowly graduate to the next, into the next stage. Um, and I think that's kind of like, you know, I think the more people that get there will be ready for start OS when you guys are ready to really push it yeah, out. Yeah, we're almost you know? ready for them. We're not yet. Yeah. Um, we're still getting getting our house in order, but it's getting good fast. And um, yeah. Awesome. Anyway, thanks. Uh, well, awesome, man. All right. Thanks, Simon. Yeah, thanks for everything. Yeah. And uh, look forward to catching you on the next one. Yeah, for sure, man. Thanks. All right. See ya. Cheers. Well, I just want to say a big thank you again to Matt for uh, giving me the time, sharing the project, the background, and the whole ethos around what Start9 is, the future, the current uh, state of state uh, start OS and where start OS is, is going to be going. We did talk about simple X chat, which is, uh, something that I'm also very hopeful for and really enjoying that. We have a little subgroup going on. If you are interested in joining that, um, just reach out to us in the matrix chat or hit me up on Twitter and I'll make sure, uh, or Mastodon, I'll make sure you get connected into that matrix chat. If you like, um, and for everything else, just head on over to closednetwork.io and uh, connect with me if you if you wish. You can follow me on Mastodon, hit me up on Twitter, say hello, introduce yourself into the Matrix chat, and we have some uh, some other cool stuff uh, coming up in the next few days, the next week. So uh, definitely stay tuned for that. And until next time, I will catch you later. Okay. Look, they can never keep me down, I'm going And if I ever fail, just know I'll go again I never quit, cause I know that every loss May lead to another win, I'm going up I bet when I land, they gon' tell me It's luck again, see that I'm winning It's harder to watch, I'm setting the stage You should give me my prize, you